This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. Welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm Corey Wright. I'm Adam Scalina. I'm your sometimes host. Joining you this week, Corey, we've got a real rotation going. It's uh, great. Last week, you were with Melissa. Melissa. Week, week before, before, you were with Matt. It's great. This week, you're with me. Uh, the one thing is you never get bored. It's, we're, we're changing it up on you. No, it's okay. I, I appreciate it. It keeps me on my toes. Yeah. And and here's the thing. I am drinking a Nespresso. Oh, here we go. I... I <laughs> I have to bring this up. Yep. But first, let's not bury the lead. Who's on the Who's on the show today? We have Thomas Wawicki, who's joining us. He was on uh, when we first started the whole program. Uh, right. I don't know, 80, Two years eight, ago. Yeah. So he's a commercial appraiser with Campbell and Pound Commercial. We had Ryan Wong last week on from Ryan, who's also a commercial appraiser. The reason why we wanted to bring these guys on, they're on the front lines of right. property values. They know what's moving up. They know what's moving down. They know where people are going. They know where people are retreating from. So we wanted to have them on and say, hey, you know, unwind the past two years for us. And where are we going forward? The appraisals you did last week, are they down? Are they up? So we're getting like sort of like stats through these guys. Otherwise you wouldn't get access to. I would imagine being a commercial appraiser appraiser is a really pretty a tough gig. It is. One thing, and again, we'll, we'll talk to Thomas about this is when they go through the appraisal process, I mean, you get your condo appraised, you get a two or three pager, you get a commercial appraiser, it's like 50 or 60 pages. Well, I'm and, thinking like a condo. Yeah, they send yeah. three comps or whatever, yeah, right? It's completely different. There's so many different methods they have to use and they got to come up with a blended average on it. And it, it, it's it's much more in detail. And there's also so many different uses for the property. Is it going to be an owner-occupier? Is it an investment property? Is it a piece of development land? There's so many different uses that they have to consider when, when appraising the property. It makes it really, really interesting. So how thorough are your CMAs? Uh, well, I call Thomas first and then he sends me over the numbers and I copy and paste those and out we go. <laughs> um, you know, you know, here's the reality is, is we subscribe to a lot of data subscription services for a lot of money right. that the general public does get access to, that that gives us really, really good detail. And on top of that, we have an internal system at William Wright Commercial that tracks all of the company data, which arguably, and obviously this is a biased opinion, with having seven offices now up and going through the province, we've probably got more data throughout the province and most people can get access to because leases are not public information. There's right. no registry form. It's a private contract between buyers or between a landlord and a tenant. So when we're doing as many transactions as we are, both in the sale and the leasing side, we're building that data internally that our team gets access to this that a lot of other people wouldn't be able to track or find out. So, so that, you get access, so you know what the true cap is then? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you could say that. So we, we get access to a lot of stuff. So we know like in Kelowna, or Victoria or whatever, when we're doing all these lease transactions, and again, I should say that that information doesn't become public. Like we're not taking clients' information and putting it out there. Internally, it gives us the ability as a brokerage to help clients make better decisions because we can follow trends. We can see where things are going. Thomas is on the same front that they have access to information through their internal sources and brokers and all of that that otherwise most people wouldn't get access to. 
So having him on today, we'll be able to get sort of a firsthand information of where things are trending and what's been happening as of late. So how easy is it for you to, so you can like literally just call Thomas up and be like, hey, what do you think about this? Uh, I will always bounce ideas off him. Obviously, there's a lot of information he has that's confidential that he can't share with me, but right. I, I'll always be able to bounce ideas off of him. And he'll, they'll do the same too, right? They may be working on an appraisal and they'll say, hey, this is in your neck of the woods. What are your thoughts on this? And again, there's stuff he can't share with me when he's calling me, but he just wants you know a general conversation around hey, in New Westminster, on this block, what are you seeing happening? Again, right. and we can sort of go back and forth on that. And that's one thing within our industry that having those commercial networks is so important because there's so much information out there that that's that you just don't get without I relationships. Is, I think this is the one of the big, like for people that buy residential real estate or invest in residential real estate and they transition over to commercial, I think yeah. one thing that they don't get is, is just how many deals are done off of the... Yeah commercial MLS, right? 95% never probably hit the MLS. And how many, but that must create insane challenges. So like, I, I think about like a centralized database, yep. like, like Paragon MLS yep. uh, that we have in residential where an appraiser goes and he looks and he can see the last three sales in the building. Yep. He can see generally what things are rented for, or get a, a rent estimate or whatever it is he's, he's looking for. It's pretty yep. easy to find. Totally. Right. In many ways, your industry is so brokerage specific almost, yeah. right? Like it's almost like it's, how would you even describe well, it? It's sectioned off in a lot of ways. Yeah. Right? So a lot of like the knowledge. Yeah. So the brokerage industry plays a huge factor in the commercial real estate business. You I mean, there's guys like Thomas play a big factor in that. But for example, let's yeah. say for example, we go sell a development site to a client of ours and he holds that property. And then he says, Hey, my thoughts have changed. I've got an opportunity to buy something else. I might want to sell this property what do you think it's worth? And then our broker will sort of provide them with an internal, you know, numbers of where we think it's worth that. And he goes, okay, well, you know, if you can get me a number like that, I'll sell it. Right. And then what our broker does, he says, great, no problem. And with with the access that we have through the broker community, both in at William Wright, but also in other brokerages, because a lot of we all work together, is we might be able to take that client's information and say, hey, you know what? I know this guy over at CBRE that has a client looking for that. And they call the broker at CBRE and say, hey, my client might want to sell this. What are your thoughts? Their client likes it, the deal gets done. No one ever knows. Right. That's how most transactions take place in commercial, where people don't necessarily list it on the MLS, but it might be exclusively listed or it might be shopped off market. But that's how so many deals happen. And that's why in the brokerage community and the commercial real estate business is your network of individuals is so important because, you I mean, these are how all these transactions happen. And it's not just commercial brokers, it's property managers. It's also lawyers and all this stuff that are all communicating with each other and their client base that they might have a client, maybe you work with a lawyer and that client, that lawyer calls you and say, hey, my client owns this property. He wants me to, to potentially see what, what it's worth. Do you mind talking to the client for us and maybe you can sell it for them? So all of that sort of how a lot, so many of these transactions piece themselves together. Yeah, and an obvious point, but the other big thing that is a huge difference from residential is that like no, no two properties are really the same in commercial. No, we have so many different asset classes and so many different potential end uses of the purchase they're always changing. And you even if you take two retail spaces and you put in two restaurants, each restaurant's going to be posed with different challenges. Everything from electrical to HVAC and mechanical issues to, you know, who knows what it could be that you mean the 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 knowledge that a commercial broker can bring to the table when helping that, you know, goes so far. And we see it unfortunately a lot of times where people come in and they don't want to have a broker involved and we're acting on behalf of one or the other side and our our interest is to work on behalf of our client and the deal gets done. And then after the fact, the other party finds out maybe they left money on the table when we're representing a purchaser or vice versa. And 
I mean, having a commercial broker involved in your transaction is sometimes the best money you can spend, whether you're going in to purchase or you're looking to sell just because of the data and the access to numbers that the public doesn't get. Well, maybe without further ado, let's let's jump into this with Thomas from Campbell and Pound Appraisers. Enjoy, you guys. This podcast is presented by Impact Commercial. Impact Commercial, John, Allen, the team over there are fantastic. They've been, all been on the show. They have, yeah. Friends of the show. Great guys. Wealth of experience. They can help with all your commercial financing needs. Whether it's owner-occupiers, land development funds, commercial investments, or multifamily, these guys got you covered. And they recently obtained their CMHC correspondent lender status. So for all your commercial lending needs, visit them at impactcommercial.ca. That's impactcommercial.ca. Okay, so we're here with Thomas Wachowski. He is a staff appraiser at Campbell and Pound. How you doing, Thomas? Doing great. How are you guys doing? Uh, really, really well. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot for taking the time today. I know. Uh, In Matt's I- words. Back again. Oh, yeah. Back again. Yeah. Fan favorite. Fan favorite. Yeah. Fan favorite. Past guest fan favorite. Yeah. Really appreciate you taking the time. No problem at all. My pleasure. Uh, Can you start by maybe telling our listeners just a little bit about yourself? Sure. I uh, graduated from UBC and I studied economics. And shortly thereafter, I entered the uh, the appraisal business at Campbell and Pound. And uh, I started on the residential side, but like many people do, I quickly transitioned to the ICI or uh, commercial end of the business around 2007. And I've been doing that ever since. Uh, And my firm essentially works exclusively in the lower mainland, greater Vancouver, Fraser Valley, kind of out towards Chilliwack and perhaps out to Squamish and everything in between. So Corey knows a lot about what you do. I'm, I'm less familiar. Do you work by asset class or do you cover all the asset classes and geographically, do you limit yourself or do you go all over the lower mainland? I personally go all over the lower mainland. I mean, I don't consider myself a specialist in any asset class. It kind of adds uh, a nice variety and keeps your interest level up if you have uh, some variety on your plate, so to speak. So I've essentially got experience doing just about everything everywhere in the markets that I've I've described, excepting for uh, hotels and gas stations, which I don't touch either of those with a 10 foot pole. And, and just for people that don't know what an appraisal is or, or what role an appraiser plays in the commercial real estate world, can you just talk a little bit about what you're kind of day in, day out, and what role you play in a transaction? Sure. I mean, you can think of the, the appraisal as part of the due diligence phase that occurs either in advance of a deal or as part of the financing condition, you know, to act as a, as a third party check for the financial lender to essentially ensure that their, their financial exposure and their perceived level of collateral is exactly what they think it is. And so typically we are always going to be part of those transactions, but we also do work in the context of uh, litigations or accounting exercises where other professionals need to have an expert opinion on the value of certain assets that they're discussing. So we essentially write uh, due diligence reports that are used by all of those different users. So Thomas, this is why one reason why we wanted to have you on today. So we had Ryan Wong last week of Ryan, who's also a commercial appraiser, 
we have you on this week. You guys are on the front lines of sort of appraising the properties and sort of seeing property values go up, property values go down, maybe where people are buying, maybe where people are selling. Can you, if we take a step back here and go back 12 months or even longer than that, can you sort of just walk us through as inflation is rising, as interest rates are rising, what have you guys seen generally there and maybe the various asset classes that you guys do in the lower mainland here with pricing and maybe the slide or lack thereof? Sure. I mean, you know, it's tough. It's tough to describe in logical terms the type of appreciation that happened coming out of COVID and into 2021. It it was literally just going straight up, right? So the onset of the lockdowns in 2020, it was it was like nothing that I've ever seen before. I mean, the phone just stopped ringing. Phone just stopped ringing. Emails just completely stopped and. For the first month, it's kind of nice. You're like, oh, you know, I'm I'm relaxed. The vacation. Second month comes, you're like, oh, this is kind of strange. Third month comes, you're like, oh, this is concerning. And thankfully, it started picking up in the summer of 2020, right? And all through 2021, values were just ripping higher. And so, of course, the moves in the property market, as they gather attention, you gather more interest, more participation, and it kind of starts fueling a bit of a a bit of a feedback loop, so to speak. And and the gains are, I mean, they're almost indescribable. I can give you one example uh, from my work on a property in earlier 2022. So this property, Large Bay Industrial Space in, uh, in Surrey, placed under contract in January 2021 for $4.9 million as a as a new construction, you know, going to be delivered in 2022. That contract was assigned in January or sort of February 2022 for just under $9 million. So if you can imagine as an appraiser, you're trying to, you're trying to wrap your head around that type of gain in the market. And it becomes very difficult because information is so quickly outdated, right? Like you're looking at a transaction three or four months ago and, in a normal market, that is a pretty good indication of value. And in the 2021, early 2022 market, it's like ancient history. It's like looking at something from another universe, right? So it, it definitely, you know, added some aggravation to the appraisal process. Things be, became a little bit trickier. You have to make a lot more phone calls to people to see the deals that are actually pending. Because looking at stuff that closed three, four months ago, I mean, it, it looks like it's you know, from, from a completely different asset class in a different year, right? And and moving into 2022, that changed significantly with the onset of these supersized rate hikes, right? Right. So the, the volume started falling off, the type of participation, the, the type of client that we had coming across the desks in my office, that changed. The speculators are gone, right? The, uh, the, the people going in for the expectation of, of a capital appreciation and a kind of a shorter term time horizon, those guys have disappeared either because the argument isn't there for that strategy or they can't get the financing or both. So definitely slowed down in the in the second half of, of 2022. And what I would characterize now is that the people still doing deals are slightly more conservative and have a longer track record in the market. So they have weathered storms before, and they're usually at uh, a lower level of leverage. That seems to be the theme that I would 
that I would describe as prevalent right now. Thomas, I, I want to go back and, and double click on on when you kind of hit a roadblock with the comps or when the comps don't make sense from four, you know, four months ago or a few months ago. Your industry, like the commercial real estate industry, we talked a little bit about it in, in the introduction, but in many ways, it seems kind of more opaque than, say, residential real estate where uh, there's a centralized database um, that, that you know, appraisers can just look at past sales or or similar sales or a condo or something to that effect. What happened? Like, what, what approach do you take when you hit a roadblock when you're trying to comp something out or, or trying to understand the, the value of something. And yesterday the market was way hotter um, and you just don't have comps to work from. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the challenge of our business, right? We are essentially a business of information and interpretation of that information. So if you're unable to uh, kind of fulfill one of those ends, you have nothing, right? There are some, some standard databases that we subscribe to. They're not, publicly available, but they do provide a pretty reasonable indication of transactions that close because they're, in most cases, linked to the land title office. So to the extent that things are trading in a traditional capacity, and I mean, outside of possibly like a share sale, which is a little bit different, those transactions do eventually get recorded. What is harder to to track are lease transactions because, of course, it's private financial information. And especially over the last couple of years, I've noticed that brokers become more hesitant to release those details. I mean, strictly speaking, uh, you're not supposed to release those details, right? Like somebody calls you on the phone and asks you about a lease deal. You're not supposed to actually disclose the key terms of that lease deal, right? Right. So it, it becomes harder to get that information, but we do have a pretty good network of of people with whom we have relationships, people we've worked with before. Obviously, the more work you do on a certain asset class in an area, the more you build up your internal files. So it's it's a mix. It's a mix of uh, of primary research, making phone calls, looking at traditional databases, and looking at your own internal files. So Thomas, I'm thinking about this slowdown in the market and the and the uh, uh, steep interest rate increases, and I'm wondering if you recognize an asset class maybe from from your experience or, your, or what you, from your office's experience, that seems to be really outperforming right now? You know, it's, it's tough to say what is outperforming right now. I mean, the theme over the last couple of years, in my mind, has absolutely been industrial. And if you look at some graphs of the average level of rent for all industrial products in our market, it's it's unbelievable. Like, you can't even wrap your head around the fact that the rent had essentially doubled over the course of five years from kind of 2017 and 2022, right? And it it really does result in a lot of changing metrics. So suddenly like properties, you can pay way more for a property knowing that the rents are so much higher than they were even a short time before. In terms of what's outperforming now, I can't, I can't really put a finger. I don't think anything is outperforming right now. I think it's probably a more defensive market currently. Certainly, if you're chasing higher yield, you're going to be taking higher risk. So anything with higher vacancy rates, as an example, office space, et cetera, in, in certain markets, you're going to get better yield, but you're taking more risk. 
That makes a lot of sense. And, and if you're thinking geographically, is there a region that seems to be maybe performing really well or or the alternative getting beat up? Yeah, I mean, I think some of the markets that moved very, very quickly in a short amount of time, suburban markets, those now are looking like they were a little bit overextended, possibly, you know, Fraser Valley multifamily development sites in some of these areas because the reality is that some of those types of projects are there I mean they're commercial projects but their end market is essentially individuals, right? Residential owner occupiers or you know mom and pop investors. And they're not holding for income and cash flow. They're they're simply selling product to the market. So to the extent that that demand has fallen materially the metrics for a lot of these projects no longer make sense because the land costs have not really come off. Construction costs are as high as they've ever been, but the absorption is is not there, right? So suddenly a bunch of these projects are looking like they're not, they're not that compelling anymore. And so people who are halfway through a construction, obviously they keep going, but I would expect to see some of these projects kind of get put on the shelf as people wait for a better time to to kind of get the ball rolling on this. So Thomas, I mean, you talked about you know industrial was maybe like an outperforming asset class. You just touched base there on the residential development side or the multifamily development side. Some of these numbers aren't really you're making as much sense. Are you seeing where where are opportunities right now in your opinion? Like obviously, I think during the COVID days, you know, retailers were probably hit pretty hard. A lot of people thought the office market would never come back. What asset classes and maybe regions do you think there's opportunities right now or have come back? I think that's a difficult question to answer because opportunity is, is very specific, right? Like you can find opportunity anywhere as long as the numbers make sense. You can look at an asset class that is super popular, but if you have the right opportunity, it can still make sense. Conversely, you can look at something that is maybe beaten up or not that popular, but if the numbers make sense, maybe that's the compelling opportunity. For me, um, one of the interesting aspects of, of thinking about where we're going in 2023 is to look at something like purpose-built rental. The challenge with purpose-built rental that has already been tenanted and with older tenancies on the rent roll is that it's almost impossible to raise the rent in any meaningful way. And so it's excellent in terms of its defensive qualities, like you you have very stable, very predictable income, but the extent to which you can offset your rising operating costs is, is very limited because of the political climate, right? One of the asset classes that maybe would be more interesting is some retail in markets that have reasonable proximity to rapid transit. Some of these tenancies are still experiencing a business slowdown. Like, so when I'm talking to some of my personal friends who have businesses and are talking about business conditions now versus pre-COVID, not everybody has fully recovered, right? And with the expiry of all of the COVID support programs, some of these tenancies are are going to turn over. And that might create opportunity in some of these uh, smaller retail type of properties where you can step in, replace the tenancy, turn over some older tenancies, increase the rent, and hold for that income while you wait for you know, the magical upside of rapid transit either continues to 
fuel for the development or like in the case of Langley City and, you know, bringing rapid transit out there, I would be looking at something like that myself. So just to just to be sure I understood, so retail at transit-oriented development sites, is that? Yeah, I mean, I mean when I say retail, I mean a, a retail property that is in the future going to be something more than what it is. But in the short term, you can potentially turn over some of those tendencies that are a little weaker, increase the cash flow to where you're, you're comfortable holding. When you're stable in terms of your investment position, you can you can wait for appreciation and the development or the redevelopment case to be more compelling and, and exit at a future date, right? That's the dream. So Thomas, everybody's dream, right? In, right. in saying that, I mean, we're looking at one thing we've talked about on the podcast before is just about markets where you see much lower lease rates. The markets have dramatically changed. And you mentioned there you buy it in anticipation of, of, of raising those rates. Have you seen an uptick in buyers and buyers interest that you're being commissioned for maybe on markets outside of the lower mainland over the past couple of years? And if so, what markets are those? You know, I think over the course of, uh, of 2021 and early 2022, I, I feel like a disproportionate amount of the stuff that I was working on was in the Fraser Valley. And so as, you know, as properties become more expensive in, in the epicenter, the wave just ripples out, right? And people keep going to the next most affordable place. And, you know, you look at uh, the appreciation in industrial land as an example. It's, it's literally like a wave that starts, you know, in Vancouver and Burnaby and, and Surrey, and then it kind of floats out to Langley and then it floats out to Abbotsford and like it actually hits Chilliwack where you're looking at some of the land values in Chilliwack and you're like, what? You know, like this this was 500,000 an acre for 10 years and now it's, you know, millions of dollars an acre. Thomas, would you say you're on the front line of, of recognizing market trends? Uh, I mean, I think market trends are, are established by, you know, institutional investors and developers, right? So, um, to the extent that I'm observing what they are doing, I would say that I'm, I'm probably uh, second. Right? They they see the deals first. They are the ones who are examining, passing, saying yes. They, they communicate with each other. It's like that that world is always going to be first. But I'm probably one of the first observers of what that outcome winds up being, or what the trend looks like it's going to become. And uh, similar to, you know, a commercial broker like Corey, who's facilitating a bunch of these deals, like they, they are often going to be very early as well. Has this year felt different than, than Q4 of last year? I think, I think I don't, I don't know that I would say it's much different than Q4. I mean, anecdotally, I feel as though there's some more positivity in the outlook, but I think it's still early days. I mean, to me, the positivity is largely driven by an expectation of the next move lower in interest rates. I don't know whether that initial positivity that, that started in early January kind of has a follow through in the next couple of months. But so far, maybe a little bit more positive in, in early 2023 than in late 2022 when it was very difficult to predict just how many more hikes were coming and how bad inflation was going to be in for how long. So as one of the first people in the chain that can see the trends, 
where's Thomas investing in what asset class? I think I, I think I know that answer, but, but yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, we're, we're just going to get our pens out here, Thomas. So <laughs> we'll give you some runway here. So where's Thomas's money going and why? I mean, I, I think, I think it's, again, it's, it's difficult to describe a hypothetical single asset that you're looking at. I would more so be inclined to describe uh, a theme. And the theme would be to look for a property that allows you to be a little bit more defensive than you might have been in 2021. Um, and more specifically, I would be looking for a property where I could add some value or differentiate myself from everybody else. Like if you just buy a property and you know, set it and forget it and go long, you're going to be essentially at the mercy of the market, right? Whatever the market says, that property is essentially going to do as well. In order to hedge yourself against that aspect, if you can do something to change the property, improve the property, either in terms of investment into the improvements on the property, turning over the rents, you are going to both outperform on the upside, but you're also going to provide a hedge against the market that might be weaker than you expected. So I would be looking for a property that would say needs a little work and has a rent goal that is under market. That would be my inclination. Okay, just and that make, could be that, that could be a bunch of different asset classes. Just making my notes here. So if I heard you clearly, uh, that's Kelowna <laughs> Industrial and Nanaimo <laughs> Industrial Class B. Okay, all right, go ahead. Just want to make sure I'm clear do, on do what you're you describing. Have, and and I know and, and yeah and so I'm actually interested though. It sounds like you're open to a variety of different asset classes, but do you have do you have a geographical region that you monitor that or that you're excited about? I mean, I think the entire Greater Vancouver area is is very strong, right? Like I don't I don't know that there's any market here that you're looking at now that nobody has noticed, right? I mean, there was a time when nobody understood that Maple Ridge Industrial Property was half of what adjacent municipalities were getting on a per square foot basis, and that changed very quickly, right? Like when when you have such incredible appreciation in the market and it's it's just front and center inflation real estate gains like what winds up happening is all the stones get turned over right as people are looking for opportunities and deals and and the relative bargains get down very quickly and so uh, i don't know that there's one particular market i think one of the one of the important aspects is to be open-minded if you can be some people are operating a certain asset class already. They have a portfolio of whatever it is, apartment buildings in Vancouver. That's their wheelhouse. That's what they want to stick to. And that's a valid strategy for sure. I personally would be open-minded because the numbers are the numbers, right? So you establish what your, your risk tolerance is, what your time horizon is to realize whatever outcome you're trying to realize on the investment and look at a variety of opportunities. And the more deals you look at, the more the more likely it is that you're going to find one that is compelling or the right fit for you. So just so if I interpret that comment again there, that's uh, again, Kelowna Industrial, Nanaimo <laughs> Industrial, Class B. Whatever, whatever Corey is involved in is usually a pretty, <laughs> a, pretty, a pretty good bet. And on a serious note, I mean, your strategy, Corey, with some of the, some of the stuff that you've done, that's, that's a very good strategy and probably similar to what I'm talking about as well. You're always trying to add value to what you're doing, right? I mean, you're, that's how you differentiate yourself from your peers. That's how you differentiate your performance from the market performance. It's being something more than the average, right? That's that's really what I would. 
And just so the try listeners to, know, like that, that was my original idea. Like no one else had done that before. <laughs> us. That was purely my own research and due diligence. That I came up with that strategy. So I wasn't definitely the first one. Now there's many copycats. <laughs> well, you know, to be honest, over the last 10 years, right? Anybody who went wrong has just had wild games. Yeah. Right. So a lot of people who have done absolutely nothing are sitting on these tremendous returns. And I don't know that that's the likely scenario going forward. I think we're going to revert to a more traditional uh, environment where smart deal makers, people who are a little bit more disciplined, they are the people who are going to be doing well. And the uh, the blindfold uh, dartboard crowd is going to be. I think a little bit more variable in their outcomes. Well, I think people here in Vancouver over the past decade, especially are, are so jaded where traditional real estate investing has always been, I'm going to put the down payment down. I'm going to have a tenant. That tenant will pay my mortgage off over the next 10, 15, 20 years. I'll sell the house. And if I sell it for more than what I bought it for, I win because I put down 20. I sold it for 200. My tenant paid 180 for my mortgage off. I win. And so many people now, like if it doesn't, if it, if it doesn't double, it's broken. Like why won't anyone else buy it? And I think yeah. your, your comment in commercial there is buying things with a long-term outcome, but where you can add value by raising rents or the area is going to better around you, which will drive your rents up. I mean, you're, you're making money, not only are your tenants paying off, which is the traditional model, but now you mean your rents are going up. So your income's going up on the rents. So now your income's coming in is going up very much more, which then adds greater value to the property. But then on top of that, as areas gentrify, you might get cap compression in there where the cap rate goes from a five to a four. So now you're making money because your your rents are higher, your cap rates are down, which makes prices higher, and the tenant's still paying off your mortgage for you, which is the whole purpose of investing in real estate in the start. So I think, you I mean, with that strategy, and again, in, in a business like commercial real estate, and we joke how that was my strategy, I'm probably the one, I'm probably the 10 millionth person in line to have that same strategy because if it's not broke, why fix it? Everyone has the same strategy that gets, it does well that if you just kind of follow that metrics and be on the front lines and have good people working with with you to help identify those those opportunities I mean it's a copy and paste repeat thing over and over and over again no need to invent the reinvent the wheel yeah absolutely I mean it's it's always been a strategy but I'm still surprised that how often it has not been implemented but I think you're absolutely right Maybe now moving Thomas because we heard that your crystal ball's a little murky at the beginning of the show but um <laughs> We're still going to ask you to look into it <laughs> and uh, and give us your sights on uh, on the balance of the year and then maybe kind of the next, uh, call it one to three years out. Yeah, well, for three years out, I mean, I don't know that anyone can predict three years out. The, uh, the central banks seem to have trouble predicting inflation one quarter in advance, so I don't know that I'm going to do a good job three years <laughs> out. You know, like, it's interesting to see what is going to happen with inflation, right? My personal feel on it is that it's going to be trickier than people might expect. Um, the most recent uh, numbers coming out of the uh, the U.S. with the uh, the supplier price, I mean, hotter than expected. Jobs number in Canada, hotter than expected yesterday. I think the Fed is not done raising rates. I, I think they haven't even talked about being done raising rates. It makes me wonder if Tiff Macklem is regretting his it's very clear comments that the rate increase cycle is on pause. I don't know that it's 100% done. I think that I would not be expecting any kind of cuts to the interest rate uh, in 2023. So to that extent, I think this is going to be a pretty balanced market. And 
once you once you see that established trend that rates are coming off, not only in Canada, but I think in the US, it's difficult to imagine a scenario where rates are coming down meaningfully in Canada, but not in the US. So until that happens, I, I don't think it's saddle up cowboy, let's, you know, let's go long on everything and anything. I think it's more disciplined market, at least through the end of this year and we'll see what happens in 2024. I just, uh, Corey and I were talking about a tweet I, I read this morning by Ron Butler, who's a mortgage, uh, a mortgage guy. His, his concept, well, basically what he said, the concept of the big real estate turnaround is start, is starting, just went back on life support. And I think his, his take is that it's probably going to be Q1, Q2 of, of next year if we see any rate cuts, which sounds kind of similar. So, but it, it sounds like a time for the deal makers then. I, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's a very complicated, very complicated subject, right? It's trying to control inflation through monetary policy. And especially when the central banks get behind the curve, they're, they're essentially trying to put, push on a string, right? It's, it's a lot easier to pull on a string to be ahead of the curve than it is to, you know, wait till inflation is out of control and then you're, you're jacking rates up and it's not entirely clear how effective they are. And it's not easy to to figure out exactly where we are because to a certain extent, we're kind of in uncharted waters. I've never seen anything like COVID. I've never seen anything like the kind of financial stimulus that came into the market as a result of COVID. And to try to just come out with a logical framework now of everything is going to go back to normal. I mean, what is normal? It's kind of lost its uh, lost its meaning in a way. I it's hard to it's hard to know with any kind of certainty exactly what's going to happen. And that's why being conservative and disciplined in your strategy is more important, I think, than ever. Well, sound advice. Uh, we do have this segment called the six pack. Can you stick around for that? Six lighthearted questions to end the show? Six pack. I thought, I thought you meant like, let's start drinking. It's, well, it is yeah, Friday. I, I can do the questions too. <laughs> exactly. Sure. Go ahead. The six pack is powered by our good friends over at Red Point Law. Red Point Law, Corey, Tim, Falco, Scott, and the team. These are great people with a wealth of experience when it comes to commercial closings and private lending. And I just want to say, Corey, not to cut you off, they have a perfect five-star review on Google. So for all your commercial legal needs, visit them at redpointlaw.ca with offices in Vancouver and now open in downtown Kelowna. First question up. So Thomas, you, you've done some bad stuff. Unfortunately, you find yourself on death row and you're given one <laughs> final meal. What meal is it? I, I think there's no question that it's uh, a giant bone-in ribeye with some kind of butter-poached lobster and uh, a magnum bottle of wine of some kind. I'd like to go out in style in a food coma. I hope you don't die, but if you do, can I want to join you yeah. for dinner? Also, you're gonna you're gonna have a jammer before they take care of you. Well, you know, all, all bets are off, right? I mean, you probably have a jammer diabetes calcium. Any any specific <laughs> restaurant you're getting that meal at? Because it sounds delicious. You know what? Like I I love to cook, so if you put me in a, in a sunny backyard with uh, like some hardwood lump charcoal and a cold drink in my hand and a cooler with all the food, I would be. Super, super happy right there. Can can you text us your address? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Uh, favorite vacation spot? Question number two. Uh, I I always like to be in uh, 
in a vacation spot where other people aren't. So I'm not a super, uh, not a super touristy type of person. I love to be outdoors, you know, either fishing or kind of in the bush where there's not a lot of cell phone coverage and not a lot of people. And I'm usually in my happy place and it's a nice change of pace from, uh, from sitting in a, you know, at a desk looking at a screen all day. So I probably need to balance myself by being the exact opposite of that while I'm on vacation. So, so you're not joining Corey on his third trip to uh, Disneyland wow. this year. That's that's a whole other <laughs> podcast. I, I I walked home yesterday into an intervention with my two kids and my wife because I I went and booked a trip to Phoenix, thinking like, oh, you know, I'm I'm a redhead. My kids are redhead. My wife's pale. Muscles. My other kid like this. This be no problem. And I walk home and she's like, do you know how hot it is in Phoenix in June? It's 42 degrees. So I I cancel the flight only to get like I, I get the credit back from Air Canada because I have to sweet talk them to give me the credit. And then all of a sudden, I walk home to an intervention. Like, we want to go to Disneyland for the third time in eleven months. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I, I can't believe how hot it gets in some of those places. I yes. went to Palm Desert, I think, in early October. I remember opening the door in the rental car. Like, it felt like I got hit in the face with a hairdryer. I'm like, yeah. what am I supposed to? Do? What am I supposed to do exactly here? I mean, there's people golfing at like four in the morning, and got to be done by nine. <laughs> I don't know. I sat by the pool. My I listen to music. My phone just shuts down because it overheated. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. This, this maybe isn't for me in Northern Europe. <laughs> I tell you to get out of here. <laughs> so Thomas, we're we're in your backyard. You're barbecuing. You're going to turn some tunes on for us here, so we can enjoy our beer with you. What What's your favorite band, musician? What music are you turning on? I I don't like new age modern music. Probably a sign that I'm getting way too old and my hair is way too gray but if you turned on like a radio station now that is contemporary you know kind of pop music i don't like it i put on a playlist on spotify called dad rock dad rock just to see what it was and i swear to god every song was like a banger for me yeah and I'm like, this is, I, don't, I don't know I, I don't know what this means but like i love this music so i'm pretty open-minded with music i like a lot of different genres i mean like i could listen to uh james brown or i could listen to cream clearwater revival or you know anything in between like sometimes when i'm trying to relax i'll put on some classical music i, I don't really have a, a strong preference for one type of music just anything but the new age synthesizer people twerking on the stage that's where you're going to lose my attention fast i was driving home uh not too long ago and i was like you know pushing the radio buttons and i came across like a great rock song i was like oh this is awesome and I'm listening to it. And at the end, when they're like, oh, hey, it's, uh, you know, thanks for joining us here at 101 Classic Rock. And I'm like, oh, my God, my high school music is now classic rock now. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the golden oldies, right? Seems to be your favorite playlist. Yeah. <laughs> Question numbers. Are we already at towards the end here? We're at Jeez. four. We're, We're at four. four okay. Karaoke song. So, you, so you're drunk. And someone throws Corey, a mic. the context. Yeah, sorry. Matt, there's Adam there's can't three read, drinking questions Adam here. can't read my gibberish here. So, <laughs> so you're, we're in your backyard now. We're listening to the dad rock thing. We're all having a few beers. We're feeling good about ourselves. Adam shoves a microphone in front of you. What karaoke song are you singing us? I've never been to a karaoke bar in my life. And if you've ever drank with me, you would know that asking me to sing on a mic is probably a huge mistake. Um, <laughs> I, I, like I'm, I'm such a dad thing. You know, you, People have trouble hearing what they sound like as they're speaking, but when I sing, I can still hear how bad it is. 
Like there's still that voice in my head that says, not, not something you should be doing. Be quiet, even though you're just in a chair by yourself. Right. right, um, right. If, if I was, I don't know, I, I want to pick a song maybe that everybody else knows. So my only hope would be that everybody else starts singing along with me and then I could take the mic away from my mouth and hold it up to the air. Like, Sweet Caroline, uh, it is. <laughs> sweet, sweet, sweet Caroline, or, or how about Lean on Me? Right. Lean on Me by like Bill Withers or something like that. <laughs> and uh, second last question, favorite bar or restaurant in Vancouver? Well, that's, uh, that's a tough one. There's so many good places, but uh, I found myself thinking about some really nice dinners that I had and that I haven't been there in a while. I'd like to go back. It's uh, Miku. Down by uh, down by the water in Vancouver. Oh, that's a great one! Amazing sushi there. Amazing food. Yeah, yeah. I had some great dinners there. Thomas, last question up here. What's a piece of advice you'd give our listeners who are looking to maybe make it a commercial investment in 2023, knowing the current economic conditions? Uh, I would say be be confident in your own strategy and don't chase. I think that in 2023, you're going to have more time to find the right deal and that deal might come to you a little bit more than in years past and stick stick to your strategy and don't be afraid to pass up on stuff that doesn't so to summarize the podcast it's uh nanaimo and uh colonna (laughs) class b industrial industrial. (laughs) (laughs) there's your strategy (laughs) well well, thanks for taking the time today uh thomas uh if people want to learn more about what you're up to or um uh, campbell and pound how can they find out more uh, they can uh, shoot me an email. It's probably the best way. And I'm you know, hooked to my phone like everybody else in the modern world. So it's uh, thomas at campbell-pound.com. We can uh, shoot the breeze on any manner of, of real estate-related topics. Always happy to talk to new people. Amazing. Well, Thomas, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. We really appreciate all the insight as always. And have a good day. My pleasure. Thanks, Thomas. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. There you have it, folks. Our interview with Thomas Wawicki, Campbell and Pound commercial appraisers. Really enjoyed that conversation, Corey. Man, I, I got to say, as much as I respect what those guys are doing, I don't know that I'd necessarily want to be doing it myself. A lot goes into it. A lot more <laughs> goes into it than what people think. And Thomas kind of you know sort of alluded to that on the on the the interview there. But even when we're dealing with them. There's tons and hours spent on the appraisal side. Then they got to go to the property and get photos and they got to analyze the photos and analyze the data. And that's where your 60 page report shows up. Often in a time constraints, right? I mean, that's the, that's the challenge too. hundred percent. It's stressful work. It is. It is. But Thomas is great at it. We, we do a lot of business with him and various appraisers throughout the industry. So kudos to them. I started this show with a full cup of Nespresso and I'm ending this show with an empty cup. I feel almost nauseous that coffee was so strong. I'm well, shutting down. Well, I'm going I'm to tell you a story. So so I come in today and you're all excited to tell me about this new espresso machine. And I see it and I'm like, let me tell you. That's a big purchase at it's, our it, office, it's, 150 it's a, bucks. It's a big purchase anywhere. A ribbon so, cutting event. So all of our offices enjoyed the Tim Hortons knockoff Timothy coffee that we would get <laughs> from Amazon because we just wouldn't spend money on coffee. Sure. And then, then you know, we introduce Jeff Brown who joins us, who runs our clone on our campus office. Uh, Jeff, he's a great broker. He's, he's, he's helped he's, many of our clients. He's great. And when he came over to join us, he was very adamant about this coffee maker that they needed. And I was, I kind of, you know, I went along for the ride. I mean, I think the, I'm probably exaggerating. I think it was like a $1,200 machine, maybe 15, could have been 9,000 for all I know at this point. Yeah. But Jeff goes and <laughs> gets a commercial Nespresso. 
And I, I get the bill and I'm like, what is this? I'm thinking like, I'm expecting when I go up there, we have a full-blown Starbucks built in our kitchen. <laughs> this thing was so expensive. Right. So I'm out of despite, I won't try this coffee. And I told him, I'm like, hey, if any other broker from any office ever comes up here, that whole built-in wall unit you have there, yeah. that has to go because everyone else gets Timothy knockoff coffee. Right. Sure enough, when <laughs> I'm up there, I have the Nespresso. It was the best coffee I ever had in my life. So I will have to say at the end of the day, was the machine worth the $14,000? Probably not. But <laughs> it was the best coffee I ever had that we went back and we bought the Best Buy versions on sale probably for $90. Right. Spread them throughout the company. Now everybody enjoys Nespresso and I got one at home. I love it. And you got one at home. I got one at home. The same one you got here. It's great. Yeah. We should say the commercial real estate podcast is not sponsored <laughs> yeah. by Nespresso, but uh, man, I am I'm flying right now. It's, that was uh, it's awesome. I have one before I Peloton, and I, every every time I have one before I Peloton, that's why you're falling off. Oh, that's why I'm falling. That's why I'm breaking pedals. I'm going so fast. Um, but every Christmas, like I told you, every Christmas they had this like vanilla almond one. Yeah. That the first time I bought it. I was. I thought it was like all the time. The guy never told me it was limited. So I right. bought one or two of them and I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever had. I go back, the next girl tells me, oh no, no, that's limited at Christmas. And I'm like, I would have bought more. Fast forward another Christmas, I go there and they have a very similar one. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, do you guys sell that by the skid? Like I bought everything they had there and then I ran out and then now all of a sudden now I have no more left, but I'm well, waiting for Christmas again. Yeah. Next Christmas, the vanilla almond gingerbread thing they come out with, it's, it's, it's a 10 out of 10. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to that. Your life well, has changed now. Exactly. Well, Corey, how can people reach you if they want to learn more about commercial real estate or get in touch, of course, with uh, with Thomas or anyone in your network? They can reach us anytime in our Vancouver office at 604-428-5255. They can send me an email, Corey at WilliamWright.ca. Always love to hear good and bad stuff about the show. Or they can visit our website, WilliamWright.ca. Sign up for the latest and greatest news. Well, have a great week, guys. And we'll be back with another great Vancouver commercial real estate podcast next week. Thanks for listening, guys. Take care. Subscribe today.